Well, I want to talk about, I'm kind of reflecting on, uh, in essence, a little bit, motherhood and family. Um, tomorrow, across the, at least this nation, maybe around the world, um, people recognize their their mothers. And uh, so I want to see, well, what does the Bible have to say about such things, if anything? And, uh, and I know it does. Uh, actually, if you do a search, there's quite a lot spoken of about mothers, motherhood, and such. But on Mother's Day, families pay special tribute to their moms, you know, in various ways. Uh, cards or flowers or maybe uh, breakfast in bed, <laughs> you know, or lunch at a, at a fine restaurant. Um, my uh, sister calls my mom from Texas because she can't be here. Uh, special gifts, you know, to the mothers. And these are just some of the ways that that families will say thanks to their mother. And that really is how it should be. Uh, but too often, Mother's Day is simply a time when families attempt uh, to atone for an entire year of neglect. You know, or indifference, or misuse, or disrespect, uh, a lack of thoughtfulness and genuine appreciation. You know, we seem to be a society that kind of tends to do that. Well, you know, I won't live for God, but at Christmas, He's in my heart and my mind. Isn't that right? Or Easter, I go to Easter and God forgives me Easter and that carries me through for a whole year till the next time I come to see God at Easter. You see, it's a society where it's a works program, isn't it? Uh, and here, Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever it is, is like, well, I can atone for the rest of the year on that day and everything's good, you know. Um, so, you know, I'd like to reflect upon motherhood and, and family, in essence, uh, from a biblical view. And uh, for mothers, um, as well, I guess I should say, is in the entire family. I want to begin by going to Proverbs 31. We're going to read through this. Just, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier today about being surface readers. We're going to read through this kind of as a surface reading way, get a kind of a general background of it, and then we're going to get into uh, a little bit more detail what is uh, being said here? What are some Bible examples of, of mothers and uh, uh, responsibilities and family and that, that kind of thing? So if you turn to Proverbs 31, and in particular we'll begin with verse 10. And here we read here, a question is asked, who can find a virtuous woman? Well, wow, what a state. You know, if that, that was a question back then, <laughs> and you see our society today, that's a very profound statement and a very powerful one. Who can find a virtuous woman today? Right? And, and this, and this uh, <laughs> the rest of this verse, for her price is, is far above rubies. So today you'd say millions of dollars. You can't hardly, you know, find a virtuous person, let alone a virtuous woman, today. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. You don't have to worry about uh, them working against you. You're, you are partners. You are one, as the Lord wanted you to be. Uh, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. 
She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. That's if you have servants. She takes care of everyone in the home. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She doesn't work herself to death. She's in good shape. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. You know, that's where a lot of the communication and judgment was carried out, was in the gates going into the city. So here we're finding out her husband is known in the gates. Why? Well, because of him, but also because of her. Because of her life, see? When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. Is that interesting? Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. We'll see a contrast here. Uh, the scriptures lays out in a few moments. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor, here's our scripture reading, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So here we have a great number of verses here describing this, what God sees, lays out as a virtuous woman. She has the whole package. Now I want to tell you, she's not born with the whole package. She's probably not born with much of the package. This is a package that comes from God. See? Virtuous. That's a character trait of God. But in this passage in Proverbs, in, in, the, in the, uh, the wise man lays out, inspired by God, God presents us with his description and estimation of a godly wife and mother. What does it look like? See? In this passage, we're given a glimpse of a woman who is a wife and mother and who, one who diligently cares for her household. That goes against the culture in this country, doesn't it? And not only, you know, her household um, doesn't just include her husband and her children. It includes anybody who is in her household. Some people are more wealthy and they have servants. She takes care of those servants too. She's a servant to the servants. Isn't that interesting? Uh, maybe business. We even see in there a description that she, she takes care of business associates. You know? And those she helps in society. Uh, you know, the needy. Those who are poor. This woman whom God praises and defines as virtuous and whose value is far above rubies, as we read, is shown to possess at least five virtues. 
characteristics. I say main characteristics. First, she's a devoted wife. You get that picture, don't you? She's a very devoted wife. She is uh, one who has the confidence of her husband. Her husband trusts her. She seeks his welfare. She enhances his reputation. You know, people don't say, yeah, so-and-so is a good man, but his wife, you know, I'm not so sure about. She's... Sure. But they but they say, so-and-so is a, a good man and, and, and his wife, they're such a good, loving couple that she's, a, you know, she speaks of him and enhances his reputation. And if you come to understand the true differences between how men and women are made up by God, the differences in their brain and how, and how they're made up, men, that's something that builds man up. That's a need of us men. Not that we need to have a reputation, but we need to be esteemed by our, by our spouse. The second thing, she is a diligent partner. As a godly woman, she's a willing worker. The husband doesn't go out and slave and work his fingers to the bone just to provide a luxury and leisure for his wife. She's a willing worker. She's a wise shopper, we learn. Um, she's a planner who's able to minister to her family because she keeps herself uh, spiritually and physically fit. She's not sickly all the time because she doesn't treat herself well. She abides by the Lord's instructions on health reform and how to take care of the temple, body temple. A third thing, she's a servant to the needy and the poor. So she's, she's giving, not just to her family, because some people say, well, I give to my family, you know, that's a kind of a natural thing, you know. I'm going to take care of the family. No, she's giving to everyone. Isn't that a characteristic of God? She's giving to everyone. She ministers not only to her family, but to those in need around her. A fourth main thing is that she's a dependable mother. She's there. She's devoted to the needs of her family and her children. She's well-groomed. She's attractive. She's organized and disciplined. And as such, is a testimony to her children. We wonder about our society and the downfall, Satan has attacked the family unit. I'll get to it in just a moment. He's attacked the family unit, attacked mothers and motherhood. We wonder about why uh, some of the, the the problems that we have in society, uh, um, can't, um, let me put it this way, it can be traced back to a dysfunctional family. The examples that the children had in maybe one parent or both parents or no parents. But she's a a godly example to her children. Now, sometimes there's families where the husband's not so good, but the the mother was a godly woman, and the children see have followed her example. That's why I say there is quite a bit uh, that we can learn in God's word about motherhood. You know, and and every time. And we'll find here, I'll give some examples. Um, You'll find good mothers mentioned in the Word of God, and you'll find bad mothers mentioned in the Bible by name. God's making a point to us. Eh? (laughs) 
A fifth thing, uh, main characteristic, she is a biblically oriented woman. She's a woman full of God's wisdom. She is a believer in the Creator and follows Him and learns of Him. You know, Sean had said earlier that his grandmother prayed for him while he was out in the world. She was a biblically oriented woman. <laughs> See? I know others. I have friends who were raised by God, their godly grandmothers because their parents were just out in the world and didn't care about their children. But you know, we read Proverbs uh, here, 31, verses 10, 31, talking about this virtuous woman. And the ladies are probably saying, you know, I give up. <laughs> you know, this doesn't describe a woman. It's describing superwoman, you know. Um, I'd say not exactly, though probably pretty close. It describes a woman who's living in a supernatural way with a supernatural God is what it's describing. It is possible this is what God's laying out. This is what He wants every woman to be. And can, they can be through Him. See? And as we look at this passage, we can see that being a wife and a mother is its a, tr- uh, a challenging task. It's a tremendous uh, task um, in any age. In the age that Solomon was alive and today. Maybe more so today. I'm not sure. I wasn't alive back then. But um, we know that the devil is going about as a lion. He knows his time is short. It may just be more challenging today than it was back then. But in our day, I think um, we have more distorted uh, values and and more of a moral breakdown in society than they, they did at that time. And it's especially difficult for single moms, you know, without the help of a, a husband or many times without, without the help of a caring and loving church. You know, they're by themselves. But I believe that nothing, absolutely nothing, is more important to a society than godly motherhood. And I base that on what I've studied in God's Word. The family is the foundation of the church and of society. It's the foundation. Now you have uh, uh, all the higher learning, you know, uh, uh, professors out there and teachers and and uh, others <laughs> uh, who will say you're out of your mind. But I believe that motherhood is the most important thing, and the family is the foundation. Satan knows this all too well, friends. He, he so you know. Because he understood this, he began his attack. His very first attack was upon who? Eve. Eve, The mother of humanity. See? And he still targets the mother in his attacks upon the family. You see it in society. If you'll step back... Step back and just kind of take an overall look. You can see, you, you know, of course the family unit is being attacked, but what's the primary focus upon? It's on the home, the home life, the mother. 
Now, the Bible mentions numerous women, like I said before, who faithfully developed these character traits mentioned in Proverbs 31. And we can learn some things from taking a look at them. And there's not a whole lot told to to us about these particular women, but they are mentioned in God's Word. I'm going to take a brief look at, at some of these women. The first one is Sarah. You ever heard of Sarah? You know who Sarah was? Abraham's wife. Sarah was a woman of great faith. Her obedience to Abraham is mentioned by Peter in 1 Peter 3.6. Isn't that interesting? She obeyed Abraham. Some women would be going, <gasps> What do you mean obeyed Abraham? Abraham is the head of the household. But it wasn't a, a master-slave household. They were partners. But Abraham was the head of the household. She lived and she traveled with Abraham throughout their years in Canaan. When told she'd have a son in her old age, what'd she do? She laughed. You know? She laughed. Part of her couldn't believe the, the promise made, but she also knew that God would do as He's promised. Now, that was a test of faith for her, wasn't it? And it was a test for Abraham. And they failed the test there. <laughs> but they learned from it, and God fulfilled His promise, didn't He? In her old age, she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. What do we learn uh, in this example of you study about Sarah? What do we learn? Mothers and wives have often been called upon to do that which seems impossible. She was old. It was impossible for her to have a child, wasn't it? Often mothers are called upon to what seems to be impossible task. Yet, the impossible is accomplished with God's help and a step of faith. What about Jochebed? Have you ever heard of Jochebed? Some pronounce it Jochebed. Jochebed. Have you, have you heard of her? She was the, uh, the wife of Amram. And they had a son by the name of Moses. Now you've heard of Moses, haven't you? Now they know who Jochebed is. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill all the male Hebrew babies. The midwives, though, they feared God more than the Pharaoh. And there were some babies born. Moses was born. Um, mothers and fathers, you know, have often fretted over the future of their children. Our boys are out of the house now, and we kind of fret over, you know, the future for them. And I know that other parents were late. You know, they go through the same things. Um, imagine Jacobit's fears. Not just, oh, my children are out of the house and I don't know what they're going to do. The fear is, they're going to kill my son. Moses was born in a very hostile world. Not a, not a place where... I mean, you had a ruler. That ruler said, you're dead, they put you to death. We live in a country that is not quite that easy, <laughs> you know. In Exodus two, we read that Jacob had placed her baby boy in a basket, put him on the the Nile, in the river. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, wasn't he? And his life was spared. Pharaoh's daughter saw something uh, there that she wanted, and God's hand was on Moses too, wasn't it? 
because of a faithful mother and family. Jochebed was the woman, it's interesting, who was hired by Pharaoh's daughter to nurse the baby, her own son. Isn't it amazing how God works things out sometimes? So, not only till about till he was about at least twelve, you know, don't believe the movies you see about Moses. Read the Word of God. Because Jochebed raised Moses till he was about twelve, and then he went to the, the house of Pharaoh. So she had that time uh, to teach Moses about the true God, to teach Moses about who he is, that he's a Hebrew. It is not this Charlton Heston thing who never knew he was a Hebrew, you know, in the Ten Commandments movie. No, he knew he was a Hebrew. And through Jochebed, we learned that no matter how hostile the environment may be, a godly woman can teach her children about God. She may have a husband that, that's an atheist. She may have a husband that hates God. But she can still, in that hostile environment, teach her children something about God. What about Hannah? You ever heard of Hannah? Samuel's, Samuel's mother? Boy, we've got a quiz going here. and she's <laughs> Hannah was the wife of Elkanah, but she was barren. And she prayed to God for a child. In 1 Samuel 1 verse 11, it says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And that was a custom then. You know, whether he was a Nazarite or not, Nazarites uh, never had their hair. You remember Samson? He was a, a dedicated to be a Nazarite. They didn't drink anything from the fruit of the vine. They didn't cut their hair. And these are things that showed them to be Nazarites. People saw them as, oh, they're of the Nazarite order. Um, but I'm not sure Samuel was. But uh, uh, they never cut his hair. Did God answer her prayer? Did she have a son? She did. She gave birth to a son. She then dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord. And when he was of age, she took him to Eli the priest. And she would then only see Samuel uh, every year as they came around for the yearly sacrifice. You know, we really need more mothers and fathers who look upon uh, their children not as their possession, but as belonging to the Lord. We are stewards, in essence, as parents. The Lord has given us an incredible gift to tend to. See? They're not ours to do with as we please. I'm so grieved when you see what comes out of Hollywood. They think that children are just uh, possessions. That they're you know, something to be purchased. Something that, oh, wouldn't it be neat to have a child? And you have these women out of wedlock who, who have these children and think they're doing a wonderful, marvelous job while leading that child to hell. 
Maybe ignorantly so. Maybe the Lord can work through some of their lives. I know the Lord strives for that child and for that person. But it just grieves me. It grieves me. They're really children are not given to us to do with them as we please. Uh, but as to please God. That's, that's really the bottom line. Our children can learn a lot about Him at a very early age, too. It starts young. As uh, Sean mentioned, you know, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, come back to it. I've seen that happen. I've seen, well, you've experienced it. <laughs> so I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know, I have seen it happen before. Your children have left and you, you think, that's it. They never see them again, but you never stop praying for them. And you may not live to see the day, but you can trust God. That God's working for that child. And they can learn of Him. Here's someone I just want to... Here's one I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody will recognize. Lois. I'm looking. No. She's over there. <laughs> no. Lois, okay. Lois was the mother of Eunice. <laughs> that doesn't help you, does it? Uh, well, let me put it this way. We often read of her grandson. His name was Timothy. We've heard of Timothy, haven't we? Timothy, Timothy's mother was Eunice. And we know that Timothy's father was a Gentile. We read that in Acts 16. We also know Timothy learned the Holy Scriptures while growing up. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Paul was uh, uh, writing his uh, letter to Timothy. He says, you, you learned them from a child. I know that you know the Scriptures because you learned them from a child. What does that tell you about Timothy's mother? What does that tell you about Timothy's grandmother? See? Now we know nothing of Lois's husband, but we do know she had a daughter that learned the Scriptures. Her name was Eunice. And that she had a grandson who learned the Scriptures. Unfortunately today, some fathers are not godly men. Or they are not interested in teaching their children about God. What does a mother do? Can she still teach them something about God? Like I said, Timothy's father was a Gentile. Did Timothy learn about God? Yes, he did. A mother can use what help there is available and teach them the best that she can. And if your mother taught you the Word of God, you can hand down that knowledge to the next generation as well. It's unfortunate that our society downplays the role of a wife and a mother. It's, it's really... It grieves. It, it should grieve a Christian to see this. But the Scriptures have warned us over and over again about the devilish forces that are constantly at work to get us to adopt values and attitudes of the world. We are in a conflict. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. <laughs> Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 2, he said, "...and be not conformed to this world." But be ye transformed. That's a change, isn't it? 
Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? In the Word. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you prove that? How do you prove to the world the will of God? Do you take this? Do you take this and you go out and you smack them upside the head? Does that prove to them the will of God? You live it. You read it. You study it. You accept it. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to Him. You will be able to live it. That's how you prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. But what I wanted to concentrate more on was this conform, uh, this transforming, this renewing of the mind. How does a mother teach their children about God? Well, she has to know God. <laughs> All right? A mother's greatest help comes from the renewing of the mind by God. Speaking of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at that. Verses 1 to 5. And this is where I said, we'll start to see the contrast here between uh, what we've been talking about in obedient, uh, obedience to God with mothers and, and the family. Say 2 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, <coughs> verse 1. And this is, Paul's talking about the last days here to Timothy, which we're living in. <laughs> right? So he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, friends, when things happen. We've been warned. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. What's he say next? Disobedient to parents. Do we see any of that today? I mean, of course you've had disobedience in families from the beginning, uh, since the fall. you know. But he's talking about perilous times. You see it like a, tre- a tremendous flux of it, don't you? Disobedient to parents. I have, uh, uh, on Facebook, I have several hundred friends. And and I, I see, and most of them are classmates or somebody you know I've met or whatever. And, and I'll see some classmates putting out things, you know, oh, my child said this, my child did this, and they think it's cute. And I look at it, and I'm grieved because they're laying the groundwork for disobedience. And they don't even recognize it. Oh, isn't it cute? They, you know, one of them was talking about how uh, their their little toddler was cussing and thought it was so cute. Excuse me. You won't think that's cute when they're in their twenties and thirties and disrespect you. You know. He goes on. He says, "Unthankful, unholy." What's the next one? Without natural affection. I'll get to that in a minute. But put that in the back of your mind. So you have disobedient to parents, without natural affection, he says, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Yeah, we're in a controversy. Traitors, heady, high-minded, 
What's he say there? Lovers. There you go. Lovers of pleasure. Pleasures more than lovers of God. They're not converted, are they? Are these people converted? But are they in the church? Yes. Read the next verse. Having a form of what? Godliness. But denying what? The power thereof. And Paul says, from the such you need to turn away from them. Because by beholding, you will become changed. That was one of the things we learned uh, or should have detected and learned in our Sabbath school study this morning and in the past weeks about the church at Corinth. Why didn't they deal with sin in the church? Because many of them, well, for one thing, there were false teachers that came in, but many of them had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. They didn't turn away from the sin. They didn't rebuke it. See? And so by beholding it over time, you become changed. In so subtle a way, you don't even detect it. Now, what I want to point out here, there are three things that stand out in connection with the family in these verses. And I mentioned them. First was disobedient to parents. That's kind of pretty obvious, isn't it? And remember, Paul's saying, these are in the last days. They're going to be disobedient to parents. Now, that doesn't mean all children are going to be disobedient to parents, but you're going to recognize in a society here, perilous times... What's one of the causes that it's a perilous time? The family unit is being destroyed. The second thing said without natural affection. Now if you look up the Greek word there, it's the Greek word astorgos, and it means essentially family affection, a love of kindred. So this says that men will become hard-hearted towards their families. They won't care about their families. Do we see that today? We see it in a high degree today. That's why today we're in perilous times. And the third thing was the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When these three characteristics exist, friends the family is destroyed as a protective force in the church and in society. So, you know, Satan, and I don't want to bring him up too much, (laughs) Satan knows what he's doing. We don't have an ignorant enemy. How am I going to destroy the church? I'm going to attack the family. You see, Adam and Eve, when they were married there in the garden, they became the first church on this planet. Satan attacked the church through Eve. And that family is an example of the church, see? If I can attack a family and destroy the family, then it'll go ahead and it'll go on out and it'll destroy the church. I don't necessarily have to climb through a window or the back door of the church building to get in there and destroy the church. I don't have to have the minister, you know, in my right hand, although he does often. All I got to do is get the mother of the families or the mother and the father. See, because what did Eve do? 
She went to her husband. Mothers face two tremendous forces of persuasion today. First, they face the deception of Satan and a satanically controlled system such as, well, the so-called feminist movement, the uh, homosexual movement. Uh, these, these are controlled systems which have as their goal the destruction of the biblical home and especially biblical motherhood because of their importance. If it didn't have an effect, Satan wouldn't be attacking the mother. <laughs> see, He wouldn't be attacking the family unit. But you see the family unit attacked on all sides. Homeschooling. Homeschooling is, has grown and has gotten more acceptable today, but there was a time where it was completely attacked. Well, the mother's not educated enough to teach her own children and all these other reasons that they try to bring out. Sometimes that may be the case. Oftentimes it's not. Motherhood, the importance of a, a godly motherhood, again, it's what stabilizes the church and society. And as mentioned before, Satan's first attack was against the mother of humanity. <laughs> and what did it do? It immediately affected the home, didn't it? But there's a second force that has aided that first, which too often is neglected or overlooked. And this is the abuse of women by men. And in subtle ways. I'm not talking about the physical, although that's part of it, but I'm not talking about the physical abuse so much. I'm talking about the subtle abuse. Man's mistreatment of, of women has made women ripe, you see, for the propaganda and the humanistic ideas of the world such as the feminist movement and the homosexual movement. It's aided in pushing them to that. See? I want to read something to you. This is a couple authors, Richard Fowler and Wayne House. They wrote a book called Civilization in Crisis. Rather interesting, their take. But I found this to be interesting here. I wanted to share with you. They say, quote, The problems created for the Christian in regard to working wives comes both from the historical feminist movement and the distortion of God's original intention for husband and wife. That's accurate. The root misconception is not the equality of creation of male and female, but the created function of husbands and wives. In general, secular society has defined the traditional family structure. Okay, This is what they're talking about. This is how it's gotten away from the Bible, and this is the subtleness of it. And you'll find it in a lot of churches this way too. See, They say, it's gotten away, in general, secular society has defined the traditional family structure and assumed the husband to be the superior ruler and the wife to be the inferior servant. That concept lies far to the right of what God ordained. On the other hand, the feminist movement has swung the pendulum far to the left largely refusing the family structure and roles God has given. He's these guys are exactly right. 
Because of these attacks upon the family, we see a church and society today that is drastically out of line with the biblical uh, roles of men and women. And even churches will say, well, we do know the roles of men and women. Men are the master leaders and women are the slave servants. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what it was in the Garden of Eden. And as families, we need to be alert to the destructive influences of any extreme. That should be a red flag right away. We need to guard ourselves against them by staying close to Jesus and the Word. Isn't that right? Aren't we safe sticking with the Word? (laughs) It's the Word of God that's going to enlighten us to these extremes anyway. The Holy Spirit's going to help us to, uh, to make any corrections we need in our lives. Ephesians, uh, and we're not going to read it. I uh, don't really have time to, but I'm going to encourage you uh, to. I know you've read it before, but Ephesians 5, uh, verses 23-29 is a classic passage uh, where, where we're taught about headship. And I'd advise you again to, to study carefully. And I want to encourage uh, the men, primarily, to study it carefully. This passage clearly gives us God's perspective of the husband as the head of the wife, not as a dictator, but with a loving servant-like responsibility to the wife. See? When we as men neglect the admonitions and example of this passage, and this is just one, we sin against God and our wife in several ways. First, we sin against God by disobedience (laughs) and by destroying the picture that marriage provides of Christ and the church to everyone else. A second thing, we sin against our wives by failing to care for their needs properly. And you don't learn, and this is one place where the church has failed uh, well well too often, and, and, and only goes to show how uh, disorganized the family unit is. Men aren't taught. Men are taught the uh, secular conception of the roles of husband and wife when they're raised, instead of the godly characteristics and roles that they have. Mainly, we're in a situation sometimes in the church uh, due to ignorance. We don't know any different. I was raised that way. And just within the few last years did I come to discover the truth on this. And I praise God for that. And I recognize it isn't taught in the churches as it should be. It is should be a primary focus when, when couples are courting. Not dating. That's a secular, worldly way. Okay? But it... God has the ideal that He lays out in the Bible. My wife and I dated, you know. But there is a right way, or let me put it this way, there is a much better way, and that's God's way. See? I guess is what I'm saying. And so, there's an ignorance on on this fact. The third thing is, we sin against our children if we have them, since they pick up our attitudes and our actions by how we treat our wife. 
As husbands, we're told by Scripture to care for our wives in two main ways. And I wanted to get into this because I didn't want to feel like uh, the mothers and the wives were being picked on necessarily today, even though tomorrow is, is Mother's Day. But I want to also remind you men and young boys and husbands what God's Word lays out for us as our responsibilities concerning motherhood. <laughs> See? In our family. We are told in Scripture two main ways that we are to care for our wives. First, as Christ is the Savior of the church, so husbands are to provide for their wives. Not simply, guys, by putting food on the table, but by emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental support. It's the whole picture. <laughs> now, in order to do that well, we we need to understand that we're made differently. I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, there are a lot of things, uh, educational sources out there that that you can find uh, that will uh, help you with that. Wives are women are wired different than men. They have a different language. We may think as men we understand what they're saying to us. We won't unless we know their language. This isn't taught in churches. This isn't taught in families, I've discovered. But when you come to understand your partner's language, and she needs to understand your language, you're going to see a tremendous, tremendous miracle in your in your marriage. But we are not just to provide food on the table and security is a big thing with women but it's the whole package guys you know some men are concerned solely with what they can get from their wives but they're deaf they're blind they're dumb to her needs and most of it i believe is because they're not educated on it to me i see it mainly as an educational problem not always. <laughs> Men take care of their guns. <laughs> you know, They take care of their gardens, their car, their boat, and their business, but they don't notice the strain, the tension, the desire of their wife. She needs to be loved and cared for as a person. And that takes knowing her language and understanding it. She's wired different. Men think more linearly. So we think, oh yeah, I hear what my wife's saying. Women are all over the place because they're called to be mothers and wives and to handle a household and to do this and that and that and be able to talk to a child and know what they're doing and multitasking. You know, I think, uh, you know, Microsoft Windows came to understand how a woman was wired and said, hey, that's a good idea for a software, an operating system, you know, <laughs> multitask. You know, here's the second thing. Two examples are given to show uh, us men how to love our wives. Okay? We're to love them as Christ loved the church. That's powerful, right there. And the other one is how we love our very own bodies. There's two examples there given to us to show us how to love our wives. I'm going to touch on them. First, 
And I believe it's because men have failed to love their wives as Christ has loved the church that we have seen the demise of the family unit for the biggest part. Um, and actually, it actually helped to spawn the, the, the uh, feminist and gay movements. Our disobedience to this command has caused wives to seek esteem from other sources, see, and they'll find it because it's something that they need. So they will find it and they will exchange their God-given roles for that of the roles of men if they have to, to find it, see. And I'll tell you this, because of all this too and these movements and because of a lack of disobedience, men have become more effeminate too. Have you noticed that? Which just feeds the beast. Jesus loved the church so much that He became a servant and gave all to save it. Are we husbands serving our wives? Her needs to save her? You see what I'm saying, guys? Or are we seeking our own desires? That's a learning experience when you get married, isn't it? (laughs) 25 years, yeah. In June, my wife and I will be married 25 years. Praise God for that. You know, we live in a society where the divorce rate is inching up closer and closer to well it's been going down in the last few years mainly because people just aren't getting married but before that it was up over 70% 7 out of every 10 people wow and like I said it's going down people say oh it's been going down that's because people just aren't getting married they're living together you know you can do all kinds of things with statistics make them say what you want usually Here's the second thing. The husband is to love his wife as he loves his own body. The creator of the female mind knew that she needed to feel loved and wanted more than anything else. (laughs) God made the woman with a nature that required uh, love much more than men. That's why, uh, you know, some of us can go out and hunt and we can shoot Bambi. And a woman can't. We're wired differently. See? In the Garden of Eden, uh, in the Garden of Eden, the Creator indicated to the woman that her need for love could be satisfied most fully. You'll see this in Genesis 3.16 from her own husband. He said, Your desire shall be unto your husband. See? And because of the sensitive, um, uh, romantic nature I guess, with which the Creator endowed her, her need for love and security are much stronger than our needs, see? Because we can take care of ourselves. Now, today's feminist movement says a woman can take care of herself, but they're denying the very need that she's been created with. See? Her self-esteem is vital to her happiness, and this largely depends upon the way her husband treats her. The man gets his self-esteem by being respected. I mentioned that earlier. That virtuous woman, that's what she's done. She's respecting her husband and and he flourishes in his role because of that. He can trust his wife. 
He knows she has his back. <laughs> right? The woman gets her self-esteem from being loved in all aspects. And there are different kind of love languages. There are different uh, books out there that explain it in different ways. But basically, it's the same thing. It's the same foundation. The same thing that God has said. A husband... Um, his contentment and security can be based on success in, in his job, uh, achieving financial goals, you know, those kinds of things. But the wife has only one source, really, of self-esteem and security. I mean, she can cook, be a great cook, right? But, you know, after you eat a meal, it's gone in an hour, right? Um, the family may not even thank her for it, <laughs> you know? Her best performance of household duties are not recognized or respected by the community as her husband's work is because she's working in the home. She depends entirely upon her husband to provide this sense of fulfillment, confidence, and well-being. And when she doesn't get it, like I'm, I'm going to tell you, in subtle ways the devil will work and she'll look for it in different places. And maybe with someone else. And Paul's, you know, uh, Peter tells us he how husbands are to treat their wife as the weaker vessel. This is the sense that he means. She's weaker in that her desire, as God said there in Eden, is to be for her husband. We're to supply that need. So you see, the husband's love, respect, and understanding her language is necessary for her to function as a complete person. And he must accept it as, guys, we've got to accept it as our divine duty uh, to make her feel loved and honored under all circumstances. You know, um, God didn't say, I suggest you love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's a command. We are husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's a command. The neat thing about God's commands is He gives you the, the power to carry them out. <laughs> he gives you the grace to do that. Now, it's not dependent. Hear me here. It's not dependent on whether your wife is lovable or not. Is it? No. She especially needs it then. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, you know, guys, ask yourselves questions. Do I want for my wife what I want for myself? Do I want to avoid for her the unpleasant things I want to avoid for myself? Check yourself. See? There are all kinds of opportunities for our loved wives. Now, I want to uh, I want to quickly move and and uh, reflect upon motherhood uh, for a moment with the youth. In Proverbs thirty one verse twenty eight, we read, "Her children arise up and call her blessed." Well, there's a reason for that. She wasn't going around with a rod beating them all the time, was she? You know, mom is too far too often taken for granted. I think. She provides a taxi service. 
good meals for seemingly never-ending empty stomachs, especially when they become teenagers. It's like you can't have enough food in the house, right? She provides a shoulder to cry on when they're in trouble. And, and she provides that love and that security. And she oftentimes, because the husband may be away in work, is the foundational pillar for that child. That's why God wired her a certain way. And far too often, mom is the blunt end of cutting remarks or of unspoken angry looks and attitudes, and I'm talking about children, of disrespect, of rebellion, neglect, because she didn't give in to somebody uh, uh, their whim because she actually loves them. (laughs) Too often she fails to see or hear what her heart longs for in the attitudes of her husband and her children. You know, thanks mom, I appreciate that. You know, to say uh, uh, thank you and please goes a long way. Don't hear it much anymore. Your Christians usually will say please and thank you. But in society, it's all about me. In Ephesians, Paul mentions two commands with a promise. In Ephesians 6, uh, uh, verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, and we've had our issues with our children, and you try to explain to them, look, I've been there, I've done that before, I'm trying to protect you, I'm trying to learn, you know, save you from my experience. But sometimes we're just, as God said, stiff-necked, stubborn people, and I want to learn it for myself. Well, you learning it for yourself may kill you. Trust me, don't go out and play in the street. I want to find out for myself. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayst live long on the earth. You will learn from their experience. You don't have to experience those bad things yourself. And I'll tell you, God is very serious about children obeying and honoring their parents. That's why He gave that command. Honor thy father and thy mother. I like this. You know, there are certain cultures around the world that treat the elderly with great respect and admiration, but not so much in in the Western countries. Have you noticed that? Many of the Asian nations do. And that's right. Notice this. This is from a devotional book called My Life Today. It's talking about this, about parents and, and this command and what Paul is saying here. It says, Our obligation to our parents never ceases. Our love for them and theirs for us is not measured by years or distance, and our responsibility can never be set aside. Parents are entitled to a degree of love and respect which is due to no other person. The fifth commandment requires children not only to yield respect, submission, and obedience to the parents, but also to give them love and tenderness, to lighten their cares, to guard their reputation, and to secure, that means help, uh, and comfort them in old age. While the parents live, it should be the children's joy to honor and respect them. They should bring all the cheerfulness and sunshine into the life of the aged parents that they possibly can. They should smooth their pathway to the grave. 
There is no better recommendation in this world than that a child has honored his parents. No better record in the books of heaven than that he has loved and honored father and mother. You see, because if you honor your father and mother, you honor God. And what did we read that... The, the the warning that we read earlier. We live in a in the last days, perilous times, and children will be disobedient to who? Parents. And when what it means? What what does it mean to honor your parents? It means to respect, esteem them, value their opinions, listen to their instruction. You may think mom and dad are out to lunch, you know, and don't understand you. Boy, do you hear that from especially teenagers. You just don't understand where I'm coming from. I was a teenager one time, (laughs) you know. But your parents do understand, and they're there for your protection and your guidance. The Mansell mothers are pretty awesome. We've seen, you know, the the ideal in Proverbs 31. You know, planning meals, grocery shopping, uh, shopping for clothes, mending, washing, ironing, all the, the duties. Then there is homework or homeschooling, which... Uh, a number of Christian families do, and, and we decided to do, we did with our children. Uh, how can a mother handle all this and not only remain sane, <laughs> but be strong and joyful? I touched on it earlier. Jesus laid out the real key to finding that joy among uh, all the work and duties. And I'm going to close uh, with reading this. Look at Luke chapter 10. This lesson here. Luke 10, verses uh, 38 to 42. And we're familiar with this. Here, Jesus. There were many Sabbath days that Jesus would go to the house of Lazarus. Lazarus was a dear friend to Jesus. You know, the same Lazarus that died and Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus would go to his house, and that Lazarus had a couple sisters. And they were named, what? you know? Mary and Martha. So here Jesus is at their home. And He would go there to kind of get away from the crowds and, and gain a rest on the Sabbath too. And He would go there to their home. It says, Now it came to pass as they went that He entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? I'm doing all the work. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. This is a passage of contrasts, isn't it? Contrasts between Martha, who was distracted over her 
responsibilities in the home, right? And a woman, Mary, who found time to sit at the feet of the Savior to take in His Word. Only those mothers, beloved, who make Mary's priority their own priority will be able to handle the strains and burdens of motherhood and the, and the work in the home and all those burdens. If Jesus abides in our heart, our burden will become His burden. And He helps to carry the load. And we have a joyful heart because of it. The danger is to become like Martha, so cumbered about with taking the care, taking care of the family and the details of life, that sitting at the feet of the Savior takes a back seat. We're all susceptible to it. Yes, there are needs that must be met. Even ministry needs. But never must your relationship with the Lord suffer because of those needs. Never. What was the result of putting Jesus in the back seat? Martha's request in the second part there, verse 40, shows us she was not only full of care and anxiety, but she was also full of resentment, self-pity, and tension. There was little or no joy in her ministry to the Savior and thus to others. So what, what does a mother do? A mother is to... Learn His Word Be filled with His peace and joy first. Then all these other tasks that must be dealt with can be dealt with with the right spirit and a right attitude. Have you ever met certain Christians that are doing ministry work and it's like you never see this now? You know? Yeah, I've got to do this and that. That's for the Lord and that's for the Lord and this. Where's the peace and joy and love? Do they do they know the Savior? At one time they had to. Have they lost that? And see, this is what Satan does. He wants to burden us with all these cares that we take our eye off of the world. And Jesus is saying, that's where you need to keep your eye. is on the Lord. And then the rest can be taken care of. It is so true that motherhood today is not appreciated as it should be. I mean, being a mother is a very difficult job. Isn't that right? Can you attest to that? Yes. But it is the most important one. I'm glad that God made mothers. <laughs> I have one. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I could fill that role, uh, really. But that's why He chose my wife. Uh, why He chose your wife. The other husband. That role. We must respect and support the office of mother and obey the fifth commandment in the letter and in the spirit. Our mothers come in all different shapes and sizes, don't they? But they all come with a mother's love. All of them. It's essential for us to recognize that a mother's love can give us a glimpse of God's love. Love that's personal. Love that never quits. Uh, love that is patient. Uh, love that protects. Love that welcomes us home. Let's do as the Lord commands us our fathers and mothers. And may we echo the words of 
uh, Solomon. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of God. So as you go uh, you know, to uh, honor your mothers tomorrow, do it in the Spirit of Christ. Will you? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for Your Holy Word and we thank You so much for godly mothers. I pray that You pour out tremendous blessing upon all our mothers. Lift their burdens, fill their heart with joy and peace and assurance uh, that uh, they are loved by Thee and by all that, uh, that they minister to. And they are appreciated as well by their husbands. Lord, there are many principles that were taught here this morning. I pray that you will continue to teach us uh, how to communicate with um, uh, each other, uh, with husbands with their wives and such, and children with their parents. That each family, each Christian family, may be uh, that example to the world of the heavenly kingdom. Please continue to bless us on this Sabbath day, Lord as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.